Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello. Hey. Beck, I'm so sorry I'm late. That's all right. I was just writing stuff. Um... I've just, it's been You're being such prepared. a week. You're being prepared for the show you host. I, yeah, I, it's just been a real week. Oh, my God. Can we turn this light down? I look uh, so bad. Oh, oh mate. God, I mean, I've backlit myself, but this this Jesus. cupboard is It's too... like a ring light, but it needs to go down because it's, it's really not doing me any favours at all. I'm sorry. I'm a feminist, but I cannot. Oh, yeah. my God. Where is it? Tom, is this on like this? We're not recording the, are we recording the video? I think he's just, I think it was the mm. audio. But I double checked because I was like, okay, "Do you need fine. me to put up a background or anything?" And he was like, "No." And I was like, "Cool." Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> the Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminist Watchers, and just like that, the Sex and the City Rehill with me, Deborah Francis White, and my special guest Beck Hill. Season two, episode three, chapter three. So let me ask you, Beck Hill. How do you yes. feel about Sex and the City, the OG, the original? I love the OG. Uh, my husband got me into it. I had never watched it. And then I moved over here in my 20s. And it was on one night when we were switching channels. You know, when you used to do that, when you used to watch terrestrial television and yeah. flick through the channels to see what was Flip on. Flip around, see what was on. Oof, those were the days. Mm. And uh, and I, I briefly landed on Sex and the City and I sort of did a oh, brother, you know, in that judgy way. And he was like, oh, no, Sex and the City is really good. And I was like, what? And uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, the writing's really funny. It's, it's, I think you'll like it. And he forced me to watch an episode and I was like, I had to admit, yeah, it's, it, it's really fun. 
And yeah, that, uh, that from then on, I was hooked. So have you seen all of it? I've seen all of it multiple times. It's one I tend to go back to as a rewatch every now and then. I mean, each time you discover more and more problematic things, but I mean, it is a, it's a good guilty pleasure. I'm going to ask you what your sex and the city sign is, i.e. are you a Carrie or a Miranda? And then what's your rising sign? Are you a Carrie mm. with Samantha rising? Are you a, a, a yes. I feel like we're allowed a mix. Cool. I am, uh, I hate to say it, but I'm a Carrie. I don't want to be a Carrie. I don't. But I remember one day I re- I was watching it uh, during a rewatch and I realized that there there was a few things that she'd done or said that I have done or said that frustrate me about myself. Mm. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was really, really annoyed <laughs> at myself. I was like, I can't believe it. So, yeah, I'm not thrilled. <laughs> I mean, I think you might be Carrie with a little bit of Charlotte, a little bit of Miranda. There's a little bit of Charlotte and there's there's a tiny bit of Miranda. Uh, for my close, my close friends get the the bit of Miranda, uh, but yeah, there's a, there is a there is a rising Charlotte there, definitely. Well, I feel like Miranda's totally changed. I don't really recognise her at all anymore. Mm. Um, I find her like a totally different character now. I always usually start with a little recap. Uh, so in this week, Carrie fakes COVID to get out of reading her book as an audiobook because she's too emotional, because it's about the death of her ex-husband, Big. A former, it's not your ex-husband, is it? It's about the death of her husband, Big. <laughs> and so she hides away uh, with, uh, with fake COVID. Meanwhile, Charlotte uh, and Lisa are on a MILF list at school. One of the teenage boys has created a MILF list, and the feminist side of them is shocked. The Guilty side of them is like, are we on the list? And then they are. They're, they're on number two, thrilled to be number two and three on the list. Meanwhile, Miranda and Che seem to be a bit on the rocks because, uh, first of all, Che makes Miranda run run lines with her and shouts at her while she's doing it. And then uh, Brady, Miranda's 20-something son, rings up from Europe and he's devastated by a breakup and says something that implies he's maybe perhaps melodramatically suicidal, but you, as a parent, you would think, oh my God, are they suicidal? He's so distressed. Yeah. And so she leaves her phone on in the taping of uh, Che's sitcom. Mm-hmm. And uh, the phone goes off. And when Miranda tells Che, well, my son indicated he was suicidal and I really felt I couldn't turn the phone off. Che shouts at her. You ruined my family scene. And Miranda said, I've got my own family scene going on. And it's real. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Seema's Birkin was stolen yep. but recovered. Uh, and that's sort <laughs> quite, of... Quite the plot line there. Yeah, really, like she lost it and then found it again. Really it's, unnecessary. It's not what that was about before. <laughs> There's a lot of these story fragments that go on in this mm. new reboot. We don't always know why things happen and there isn't a a consequence for everything. Like Miranda goes in, um, in a previous episode, she goes in one of those isolation tanks and slips out of it and you see her fully naked. Yeah. And you think normally if an actress is going to do full frontal nudity, there's going to be a real point to that scene. But it didn't seem to go anywhere. There was no reference to it. She didn't really tell anybody. It, it just... No. 
she's was full a sort clowny. of slapstick moment. She's gone full clowning in this this season. Which look, if that's what Cynthia Nixon has said, I want to do more of that. Sure, but it doesn't feel like oh it's I, I for mean, any particular reason. It's got to be grounded in something, though, hasn't it? I feel like because when she did her back out in Sex and the City and we don't mm. see everything there, yes. we don't see full frontal, but she's naked and a, a, Carrie has to send Aiden round to help and Aiden has to pick her up in the uh, in a towel um, because she's done hurt her back. And that's sort of a close clowny type thing because she's lying on her back prostrate on the floor, mm-hmm. unable to move. And then, oh, her friend's boyfriend is there and that's embarrassing and all this sort of thing. And mm-hmm. that, But that had a purpose. That drove the narrative. It drove the plot. Whereas this, it just felt like it was to show that she's not in her, she's not in her comfort zone anymore. Element? Yeah. yeah. Like the plot, yeah. the plot is Miranda puts her back out and Carrie sends Aiden. But the story is... Carrie and Miranda's friendship is facing a crisis because she says, you don't put me first. For example, you send your boyfriend when I'm naked on the floor and exposed. And there's some Mm. of these things that just, someone loses their bag, they find it. Um, uh, Miranda got a tattoo. Miranda got a tattoo and I think that was meant to be about her finding herself. Yeah. Oh, like not forgetting herself, but... It was un- again. It was unclear because she was saying, "I really never want to go back to being a lawyer." But she loved being a lawyer. Like she loved yeah. her job, her career. It was so important to her. And I think it's fine to go. I'm past that era in my life where my career was everything, and I need more time for myself. But it was like I was this just tied to the desk, and for what? And I hated it. And she, she didn't hate it. No, and it's like she's been replaced by Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. If Steve had ever spoken to her the way Chase speaks to her, how would she have reacted? Oh, I that's the thing. I I was listening to your uh, episode with Sarah Barron, wonderful, brilliant comedian, from last week, from episodes one and two. And I thought you raised a really solid point, which was about the fact that with the original series, Sex and the City, every episode would look at a subject from each character's point of view. And I think you use the example of like um, being back in high school. And so then you would have them dealing with their different issues. And they don't really do that with this one. And I think they're trying to, but they're also trying to do something that's an overarching narrative, which is not something that's really in their wheelhouse and not something that the audience wants either. I'm not watching because I want to see this long-term story between every single character of which there are now about four times the amount that there used to be. And I think yeah, they're just trying to cram to way too much. Yeah, there's way too much they're mm-hmm. trying to – so we're not – we're I only agree. getting these little snippets of Miranda, so we're not getting anything – of depth we're not getting any third dimension from her so that feels like she's yeah we're not getting three dimensions from anyone really even in the most emotional moments with carrie in this episode 
there is no moment where you can sit there in that moment and feel it. There are, where I started to feel a little bit emotional mm. and immediately we're onto another scene and there's something else going on. And so I just don't mm. have time to make that connection with the characters anymore. Yeah, I think that is, it's overpopulated. And I did see somebody on Twitter saying the Sex and the City writers have tried to be more inclusive what they've actually done is provided each of the women with an, an emotional support woman of colour. And I yes. was like, oh, my God, yes. that's so Oh, my true. gosh. It's that like is... now they've all got a yeah. black or brown woman that they call, but those women don't have the same depth of storylines. Mm -hmm. So we know Lisa's making a documentary, but so what? She says, I've got to rush out the door because I've got to get funding. And her husband says, let me just write you a big check. And then I think, please don't take the funding from someone who doesn't have a husband that can write them a big check then. She goes, no, 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 it's really important to me. And then you see her, she's recording a snippet of it, but it, it doesn't look very good. And then we hear nothing more about it. And you go, so she's really there as a buffer for Charlotte. But while mm. we know she makes documentaries, we don't know anything else much about her. And I think- No, other than she's too busy trying to have it all, Deborah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The sound, yes, the sound engineer comes into Carrie and, say, and she's, Carrie says to the publisher, oh, gosh, he's got very bad body odour. And oh, yeah. you think, well, that's going to go somewhere where yeah. she's going to have to have a run-in with that. She's having a run-in with the man hears because he's a sound engineer or it's going to be embarrassing and it's going to be about tact or it's going to be about body odour or it's going to be about something. Never mentioned again. It's just yeah. a thing that would happen in life in which – you think, oh God, that person needs to use deodorant. And then you crack on with your day and it never comes back. It fascinates me what what they're doing with that. Yeah, it feels like every character has been given their own individual writer who goes away and writes an entire episode around them. And then they're like, right, how can we cut this all into the given time frame that we have? And so we never get everyone's full story. It is, um, it's really infuriating. I did, but uh, just to get back to the point that you'd made about the themes. I think they're trying to do it, but they're not doing it well. So if you wanted to take a theme away from this one, it felt like it was a little bit about um, the protect the emotional uh, investment and protectiveness we feel about our babies. And our babies can be different things. In Miranda's case, it's her literal child. Mm. In Shay's case, it's their TV show that they're putting their heart and soul mm. into. In Carrie's case, it's her book that she's now having to come back, you know, and uh, oh, relive. Yeah. And in Seema's case, it's with. a Birkin. The Birkin bag. In the jeweler's yeah. case, it's her jeweler, Lizette. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. But what we had before was that voiceover bringing it together and saying, exactly. sometimes your baby is this or you know, there would be clever ways of making Lizette referring to her jewellery as, you know, her baby or Seema referencing the adoption of the Birkin. Or, you'd find, yeah. they just used to find really clever ways of bringing those together. So that's well observed though, Beck. Yeah, but it, but the problem is, is that they've assumed that every single character needs equal screen time and it's not true. We didn't, have that in the the only characters that got sort of decent screen time were the main four um and occasionally you'd have little bits with harry in there or trey or anthony or mm. you know, other sort of or stanford any any other sort of support characters but most of the time it was just the main four uh, whereas instead here the support characters are getting just as much airtime as the main characters and 
I understand that that means that there is a um, equal amount of screen time for, uh, well, there's more time for diversity, but I feel like it's not actually do anything for diversity. I'd rather not have had the Birkin storyline in this one and then in the next episode had a much chunkier storyline for her and a bit more of her love life mm. or what's going on there. And and then the other characters can all fall back and, and take a back seat. But I don't need them all in one episode. I can't remember what's happening. We, we can't remember what's mm. happening and we've literally just watched it. It's challenging. It's really challenging. One thing I did think about was uh, I felt a bit sorry for sound engineers in this episode <laughs> because just generally there was a lot of heat on sound engineers. So this is a real, really strange scene I felt to write in... Um, 2023. So Naya, the lecturer, she does Lisa's documentary and her microphone slips and the sound guy comes over and he's trying to help her with her microphone, which is down her blouse, the cords mm. down her blouse. And she goes, oh, oh, shouldn't you buy me dinner first? And then afterwards he says, were you serious about dinner? And then she asks Lisa about it. Lisa says, well, let's put it this way. He didn't go microphone fishing with that high court judge I interviewed yesterday. And I'm like, just Hang back on. up. Yeah, yeah. It is not cool. If a, if a man is doing his job and one of the jobs he has to do as a sound engineer is to touch you intimately, mm. you cannot go, buy me dinner first. It's really, like these are yeah. feminist women. One of them is a professor. One of them is a documentary maker. And I'm like, they would know you don't objectify a man and make him uncomfortable in his workplace like that. Obviously, it's not yeah. the same as a man doing it to a woman. There are different power structures, but it's weird. And then he goes, oh, okay, then let's have dinner. And which I think he, I, I don't think he would, well, who's no, to say what a no, man would do? No, I was like, honest, he's still on the job. It, he's Because you and I have both had to be mic'd for stuff before. Was, and a lot of the time it is, at the moment, it, there's more men in the industry than there are women. And so often it is men, and I've always found personally that they are they'll they'll generally be a they'll ask you if you because she could have fetched the mic herself easily, and I tend that tends to be what happens is they'll say can you get it now sometimes they have to attach it inside the top, and they will be like and it's it's mm -hmm. awkward but I'm all I mean I'm I'm one of those people that I'm I'm just like just go for it I don't care but. And it's always so professional because they're so worried about it being weird. Yeah, exactly. And they're super professional. And never, like, I would have to have worked with a specific sound engineer so many times before it got to a stage where either I would say something like she did, where I would make a joke about it, or where he would feel like he could say something to me like that. Because I just feel like there's that's his whole job writing on that. And if she turned around and complained... <laughs> In front of the documentary maker of, as well. Yeah. And then, and then the Lisa's like, oh, he didn't do that to the other person. Lisa says, oh. I'm like, what are you implying yeah. that he fished down her top and you're fine with it for the wrong yeah. reasons and, and, and you're you fine with it. You noticed and you didn't like, say anything. that's not okay. And those women would mm -mm. never say that. It's just a really, this is the thing, is they've brought in two women of colour and gone, look, diversity. And I'm like, you're, they're just, I don't think mm. they should ever have almost tried to be with the zeitgeist because they are so out of touch. Yeah, yeah. Just no no professional women who identify as feminists and are in those jobs would say that. 
um, no. in a million years. Or if they did, they wouldn't say it in the hearing of the man. No, no. Maybe as a, a joke in the bar afterwards while, it, while they talk about, oh, he was quite cute for a sound They might engineer. say, oh, my God, that sound engineer was so hot when he was fishing down my top. I know, I know it's terrible of me, but la, 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 la. But they wouldn't say it in front of him. And I was mm. like, what is this? Why? Why? And then the other sound engineer was just told he had bad VO for no reason. Yeah. It wouldn't go anywhere. Um, and then the sound engineers on the on the podcast engineers who were all the, all the audio recording engineers who were recording Carrie's book, I was like, these men don't know what they're doing because – they told her to slow down and then she was leaving pauses because she was emotional and was hard to You can cut out the pauses. To relive the death of her husband, understandably. Yeah. Yes. And they were like, oh, she's pausing too long. And I'm like, you guys know about editors, right? You probably have to do some of the editing. I'm like, this is I'm so glad you brought that up. Like, it's absolutely implausible. I wanted to ask you, because obviously you've, you've, Go got, on. You, you've had to do audiobooks of your own books. And I, I was like, I bet, because, I mean, I've I've done them, but they've been for kids' books. And so, obviously, there's, you know, it's a, it's a little less uh, emotional investment in terms of, it. it's not my voice, it's I'm just reading what happens to the character. But with yours, you know, you've had a personal um, relationship with what you're talking about. And I was like, I wonder what Deborah, how Deborah feels about this, these, these scenes, because I felt exactly the same in terms of the pauses and stuff. Yeah, firstly, they can edit out pauses. But secondly, if you're reading something emotional out and you said, I'm so sorry, this feels unprofessional, they would not say agreed. They would say, yeah. <laughs> it's really emotional. The emotion in your voice is wonderful. The audience will really connect with hearing it. Don't try and hide it. And they would say, I think you need to take a break. You know, if you're feeling like you, this is too much, take a break and we'll come back to it. Um, and if the writer started saying, I think I don't think I want to do this, I want an actor to do it, that would be a discussion. Um, she gets yeah. pushed around a lot in the show. Like given mm. she's in her 50s, like with the podcast ad as well, if you don't want to do a podcast ad, you don't have to. Mm. And it feels like she's still letting people just tell her, well, this is what you have to do. And it was, you know, and the storyline was, to be fair, there was a storyline to this, which is she got over it. She did the book. She was glad she did the book. Fine. Were you a bit disappointed that there was another episode about her grieving big? Because I felt like season one, there was so much big grieving, which I want shows about mm. grieving. It's important. And there are people who are grieving who need that. But it's not why we come to Sex and the City. I thought they were going to cut in time in season one. So she was allowed to grieve and then we would like cut to six months later, a year later, so that we could get on with, you know, not that you don't stop grieving your husband in six months, but so that we could just push on a bit, you know, or a year's time or two years time or whatever. But we had a whole season of grieving. And for me, it's not why I come to Sex and the City. I would watch other shows for that. And then they've gone back to it. What, did you feel that? Did you feel like, no, are we grieving big again? I, I didn't mind the grieving. However, I actually felt like if she's going to grieve, then she should be properly grieving. I mean, what I did enjoy was how they, they actually did that little bit of directional change, which they, they they don't use often. And when they do it, it does add something. And they used to do it in the original show as well. But where they... Uh, Oh, and I've forgotten the term, and wonderful Tom Selinski will 
be shouting it in the edit, but the uh, that that one that's came from Vertigo and it's also used in Jaws, where you sort of zoom in while uh, you move the camera forward while zooming out or vice versa, and it gives you like that a dolly um, shot. Dolly shot, that's the one. Yeah, and they do that when she first starts reading that bit in chapter three to really make her feel out of it, and the words start sort of swirling as if they're being so you could hear the shower soundscape and then actually the um the uh, editing booth the where the uh, producers are sitting in that then goes dark all the light goes down on that and it sort of completely changes the feel of the room and I thought that was a really nice way to make a visceral way of making the audience feel that like oh I wasn't expecting this grief and it suddenly mm. hit me and um and Gav my husband mm. uh he unfortunately lost his mother two years ago and he still gets hit by the waves by the waves of grief and uh mm. he was like when she had that moment with um oh i've forgotten her name the one that married mr showbiz nathan she married nathan lane in the original series and then he's clearly oh, passed away at some point. that's it of course yeah so when they had that lovely chat in the cafe and she's saying, you know, it's still, it's still hard. And the more things you do, the more you miss them because you feel further away from them because you can't share those moments with them. And I thought that was a really, I thought really beautifully put. I thought it was really well done. Unfortunately, I felt like, again, there was no room to sit in that moment with Carrie and to allow her mm. to feel feelings. We didn't get a moment where we see lots of her eating chocolates at home, eating food at home, missing appointments, pretending she has COVID, trying to get out of this thing. But we don't see her really grappling with that thing that she's trying to avoid, which is she thought she was past the grief and it's her realizing she's not. It's still going to keep coming back. And there was no moment for that. It wasn't. Mm. Because it's not time. Because we're too busy cutting between everything everyone else is going through. Uh, but that was interesting that you said that that was a that was an important scene for um, Gav watching that. So maybe me wanting to move on for the grieving. This is not a universal feeling, uh, but to be positive, it's definitely hitting more Sex and the City tones than it was last season. Oh, hundred um, percent. I admit I'm a feminist, but I admit I enjoyed Milfgate. I enjoyed the Milfest. I thought <laughs> that was too. classic old school Sex and the City. Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit like, ooh, are we going to get an interesting storyline here about how the perpetrator of Milfgate is actually handsome but very underage? <laughs> but uh, no, just left it at that. <laughs> well, we sort of did. He walked by and they all went, oh, my God, hubba hubba. And I was like, ooh, that part I was like, mm. I would want to be on the list, but I wouldn't want to ogle a teenage boy. No. I definitely want to be on a list. Yeah. A young man once called me a MILF and I said, I'm not a mother. I'm just an ilf. Nice. Um, but if there was a MILF list going around <laughs> and I was in the mix, I really liked Charlotte going that the number one was a stepmom and I felt like the stepmom was probably younger and she yeah. was like, I think she needs to be on a different list. I don't think it's yeah, fair yeah. for a stepmom to be on a MILF <laughs> list because she hasn't given birth and, you know, she's probably younger, that kind of thing. That made me laugh. Yeah. Um, and I loved their eagerness to be on the list and then their eagerness to defend the the boy who did it because they'd enjoyed being on the list. And their innocence of like, were we? When they yes. were like, you're just 
defending him because you were number two or three, were we? Yeah. I yeah. really enjoyed that. And I'm starting to find it like Lisa and Charlotte having chemistry. And I'm, it was a nice bit of farce. I loved it. Um, although when Lisa said, I feel like Blanche Dubois, because she was objectifying a teenage boy, mm. um, I thought, it felt like they were more like Blanche from the Golden Girls yeah. <laughs> than streetcar named Desire. They're missing missing um, a, a, a ticket. The, the, there, yeah. the teenage boy was like, I really hope he's 18 because otherwise that's weird. I'd, I'd want to be on the list, but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't fancy the teenage boy no matter how handsome no. he was. I was, I wouldn't, I just couldn't. And I, and I find that bit dodge. Um, Isn't it that you, you want to know that people fancy you, you just don't necessarily want to know who those people are. <laughs> Yes, or, or I don't want to see the teenage boy who says that. Or, or see, but I, I still wouldn't fancy him if I saw him. The Australian rugby players at the end, that was the <laughs> last scene. That was so old Sex and the City, like where she meets that Australian guy who's in shoes. The rugby players and the last line was like classic Sex and the City where she says yeah. just like that, I got COVID. I'm implying she snogged one of the rugby players. And I like. I was like, yeah, that made me laugh out loud. And yeah. I, I was like... We're coming back to old sex of the city. Um, is there anything else you enjoyed before we have to get on to Miranda and Che, frankly? Is there anything else that you enjoyed or that you thought, yeah, this is this is this is feeding me in some way. This has given me the feels. The thing that did make me laugh was like that was the best looking rugby team that I've ever seen. I've I mean, I've I know a lot of people who've been in rugby teams and they've never looked that speak or or met up at a nice restaurant then <laughs> i was like all right but well yeah, i sure. am delighted Why to not? say that sex the city is not the real world they will always have a more handsome more affluent uh, cooler version of everybody so i i was <laughs> i was delighted to see the hot rugby players together uh come and doing their thing um yeah but yes it was not the way you'd see australian rugby players in australia is it hmm Oh, but I do have to bring up the the robbery at the jewelry thing. Oh yes, yeah, because everyone just stood there, and it's not like he threatened them. He was like, "Give me your necklace." <laughs> he wasn't like, he wasn't holding a knife out or anything. <laughs> and it became like a weird negotiation. Like that's a totally fine thing. To, and they're, they're enclosed. They're in an enclosed space. There were so many issues I had with that with that robbery. I don't know any. I cannot imagine anyone just getting away with that. And then she yells COVID, so everyone runs out, except for the guy robbing her. I didn't understand the point of it. You are looking for a point that's never going to be there, Beck. I know. There was no point to it. And I couldn't understand why we had two robberies in the same episode, the Birkin yes. and the jewellery, without yeah. the point being like, oh, this, without it being the same guy or the point being that, like in the old Sex of the City, and I like to write us room this, I know. And I, I love your writers' city, rooms. The same guy, the yeah. same opportunistic guy. Uh-huh. He would have uh, asked for some jewelry, and Seema would have been there and said, "Only if you give my Birkin back." You know, like there would have been some kind of oh, it would have been the same guy. Funny or pointful negotiation. Mm. It was very odd. Um, you know, I go to New York not infrequently. It's not like every time you turn a corner, someone's robbing you. It's a very no. strange double robbery. Uh, with no connection between the two storyline. <laughs> yeah. And as you say, he just was, he was a cater waiter putting things in his pocket and then he went, give me your necklace. And yeah. famously that carry necklace isn't valuable. They, 
He was at a jewellery set. He wouldn't stop. It's a personalised necklace too. It was just absurd. Absolutely absurd. Absolutely. Yes. Who's he going to sell it to? It says Karen. Um, Bitsy Von Muffling. Can I just have a guilty point Mm -hmm. here? Yes. She went on and on about how she had a facelift. She looked like 16. She looked so young. I was like, oh, my God, who did it? Because she must have really yeah, had yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, she's barely changed. Because there's no way they yeah. can break that actress. I was like, not that I would condone plastic surgery or want it on my face, just to be clear. However, and if other people mm-hmm. want to do things, they can do them, no judgment. But I don't want to be doing facelifts, but, and all the patriarchal stuff that involves. But I was like, <laughs> wow, she looked younger than she did in the original series yeah. two, 20 years ago. Like, yes. I, I was yeah, like, I had the, the same muffling. moment. Nathan Lane dying really somehow has youthened you. I don't understand <laughs> what's gone on there. I don't know why Nathan Lane couldn't have been like, Why did Nathan Lane have to be dead? I don't know. Maybe he just refused to come back. So they're like, fine. <laughs> Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists. We're recording five more live episodes and you can come and see us at the Turner Gallery in Margate on the 9th of July. Supporting local charity Power of Women Thanet. We're at King's Place in London on the 24th of July and we're at Soho Theatre on the 11th and the 12th of August. And we're live from Chichester on the 21st of August. I'll be in Chichester doing a Guilty Feminist episode because I've written a play called Never Have I Ever, which will be on in Chichester at the Minerva for the whole of September. It stars Alexandra Roach, Ahmed Shah, Greg Wise, and a very own Guilty Feminist, Susan McComa. And it's about money, sex, power, politics, and running a restaurant. 
You can also join our Patreon to get ad-free episodes. And if you're passing iTunes or Spotify and you felt like leaving us a five-star review, we would love you forever. It helps other people find the podcast, as does you telling someone. And now back to that very podcast. All right, let's talk about Miranda and Che. We've got to go there. We've got to get into oh. it. Why is Che so mean to Miranda? And why does Miranda put up with it and apologize to Che? Like when they're running lines, mm. to be fair, it is annoying if you're just doing a run where you're just saying the lines and someone's going, maybe you should cry. But Che wasn't saying, actually, it's just a line run. So I'll do all of that with the director on the set. Just give, if it's okay, just yeah. give me the line. But they sounded so annoyed with Miranda and their attitude towards Miranda is, does seem to be, you're here to serve me. You're here to... They've, you know, Miranda's given up her job and she's out there just going to chase things and going, oh, you're amazing all of the time. And then Chase so mm. short-tempered with Miranda. What did you make of the preamble before the big fallout? I felt a little bit triggered because I recently did a, had to do a self-tape that ended up taking five hours because of all the setup <laughs> and like trying to get everything set up and stuff. And and Gav did all the lines, line reads with me. And as over time, as it got more like into the fourth or fifth hour when we were both tired and like this sucks, I was getting real snappy at him. And if you'd come in at that moment, you'd be like, why is Beck being so mean to her husband? He's just being nice to her. He's just running lines with her for the self-tape. <laughs> Why is she being like this? So I kind of got a little, I did, I think I probably cut Shay a bit of slack just from my own guilt. <laughs> but what continues to get me is the way that Miranda, I mean, she was waiting in the queue with a ticket. Why isn't she on the floor with everyone else? Like, on, like, if you were filming something, you wouldn't. Tom would be there on the floor with you off to the side and the wings watching or so, or stand or in a green room or something. He's not going to be sitting with, in the audience waiting with a ticket with everyone else. Or having a guest ticket so you're there early and you're put in the best seats. Miranda yes. is yeah, yeah. in the queue with everybody else. No one's acting like she's the big support of Shay here, that, she, that she's really important to Shay. Not at all. In the last episode, she's in a comedy club and the waitress is going, can you get out of the way? Yes. And she doesn't got a seat. Like it's it's un, it's like she's like this groupie who's being treated like she's so unimportant. Admittedly, you must never leave your phone on in a situation like that. And if you're you were genuinely oh. worried your child was in that emotional state, Miranda shouldn't have gone in. Would say she shouldn't have gone into the taping. Watch this. You should not have yeah. gone in. You just have to say, I'm so no. sorry to disappoint you, but I my son needs me, and he said something that indicated. He was suicidal and it might have just been a throwaway thing to say, but I can't risk that. And yeah, you, you just shouldn't go in as disappointing as that could be. I also did not understand why the problem with the phone and why she hadn't been able to talk to Brady was that it didn't ring. And then suddenly it rang <laughs> in the, yeah, whole, the whole feature yeah. of this phone. Oh, and a little ring. Uh, um, the little throwing a bit of shade at Android there because we know how much everything is based on Apple in the world of um, Sex and the City and just like that. I was, I was like, ooh. Um, 
Was that what that was? Because Carrie's always got her I'm, her Max and everything. Of course. You're right. It's very Appity show. Mm. Um, but then afterwards, Miranda tried to apologise and explain because obviously Che didn't know. And when Che first heard that Brady was uh, potentially suicidal, their response was, you ruined my, the whole family scene. And I, I was like, oh, my God. If anyone said my kid's suicidal, I would immediately go, are you okay? Oh, my God. Like, it wouldn't matter how cross I was. I would just be like, oh, my God. What Are you all right? Is he okay? Um, mm. And that, I think, should be the end of Miranda and Shay, but I don't think it's going to be. I think if somebody said, what does, no. your kid doesn't matter. And then she said, I've got to go back to New York. He's coming back from Amsterdam and I've got to go back. And Shay was like, don't go back. Yeah. I was like, her kid's in distress. She yeah. should go back. I. What do you think they're driving at here? Because I, they're definitely not. The press is. They don't think Chase uh, a narcissist or a bad person. And but the character does read as a narcissist. Yeah, I mean, Shay's a comedian, and you and I know more than anyone that that that's true of comedians. <laughs> I feel like I think feel like Shay's a very very good representation of of uh, of of a com- of a comedian, but um, yeah, it is. It sends real mixed messages. It's not entirely clear how they want us to feel about Shay or Miranda. It feels like they're not entirely sure what the storyline is there, and they're just sort of fumbling around for something. And that's. But can we talk for a moment about the? showrunner of Shay's show. BD is the head writer of Shay's show, which already confused me because it's a show about Shay. And I feel like in most circumstances when there's a show about... Yes. I think we were pitched this was a sitcom about Shay's life to the extent where Shay was saying, I'm half Mexican. And then Tony Danza saying, but I can't play someone Mexican because I'm Italian. But then there's this showrunner and it's clearly really about their life because I want you to have a blue stroke of hair like me. This is a scene that I really played out with my father. Very confusing. Yeah, I can't tell if this is meant to be a sitcom based on Shay's life or if Shay has been cast in a sitcom. About Beattie's life. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's very confusing because they keep sort of they make it seem like it's meant to be Shay's sitcom, but is it? That's what's unclear. And that would clear everything up, I feel, because if Shay's just frustrated because they feel like they need to do this to get seen and get out there, but they're having to compromise on on who they are because they're worried that, you know, they're not, as BD says, they're not an actor, they're a comedian. Like, that's, like, I kind of understand that. But if it's Shay's life then surely Shay, to an extent, has a... I'm, I don't understand why Shay's not the main writer on it. Shay writes all their own material and they would have been pitching it. All I can assume is that some exec has gone, oh, we'll pick it up if there's a different showrunner attached. But the fact that, oh my gosh, when BD starts yelling out and it's like, they're like, oh, we're never going to get this scene again because... The motion's gone, and 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 Shay's not an actor; they're they're a comedian. And I was like, "BD is awful! What an awful person!" In front of the Get audience. rid of them. 
absolutely How would you awful. feel, Beck, if you were in someone's sitcom and you and I are both mostly known as comedians, but we sometimes do some acting, mm. right? How would yes. you feel if I was the showrunner and I'd said, Beck, I really want to cast you in the show. I think you'd be great. We're both Australian. I think you, I've written this really about my life, but I'd like to cast you in it. And you went, great, Deb. Yeah, I'd love to be in your sitcom. And then a phone went off in the crowd while you were doing a really good job on an emotional scene. And instead of de-escalating that and go, okay, well, you know, the director, it's the director's job to take it again from the top, get the emotion back. Obviously, I'd be a bit stressed, be a bit disappointed that the phone had got off. But if I turned to the yeah. audience and went, we will never <laughs> find the emotion again. Yeah. Because yeah, Beck Hill yeah. is not an actor. She's only a comedian. And you, lady with the phone, have ruined it and caused this big scene. How would you feel about me? I mean... I tell you what, you'd definitely get an emotional scene after that because I would be in tears like that. I would be, I would just, I would absolutely, on the spot. And then you wouldn't get the scene because I'd be crying through the whole thing rather than on cue. It's so humiliating. Don't hire someone if you don't think they're a good actor. They might not be known as an actor, but but also... They were doing fine. Like it it was not well written. It was full of cheesy jokes about cannoli and stuff. Mm. Given that, they were doing fine with it. But we'd already heard in the kitchen that Che hated the scene, didn't like yeah. the fact that they were expected to cry because they think they thought it sounded like being non-binary was tragic, even though I didn't think that was the scene was more about the dad accepting the kid and not mm. you know, being a bit of a boomer, not being down with it. Yeah. But it ultimately and all the emotions a- associated with that communication. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was about. And therefore you're crying because your dad's trying to accept you or you hate the fact that this conversation even needs to exist because why can't it just be me yes. and all of that. That's yeah. to me what the tears were about. But also mm. Che does not respect BD as a writer because Che said BD's put all these uh, bad they-them jokes into the script and they've had mm. to ask them to take it out. They've told them, they've given them loads of notes. Meanwhile, BD's standing there by the camera, mouthing the lines. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't stand there no. mouthing the lines and looking like, oh, my writing's amazing. When it clearly is clunky as fuck. I yeah. am fascinated by the whole Che BD relationship. <laughs> I just want that as a I feel and again, you you and Sarah were chatting about this last time with the um with the Wexlers, they could have their own show. I could watch a spin-off on Shay's. I think Shay is a fascinating character. I loved the bit in the previous episode where uh Miranda was worried that because Miranda tried to hug them and they didn't want to be touched and Miranda took that as a sign of like, oh, they're not interested in me, but it turned out that they were having pressure put on them to lose weight. And I thought that was I thought that was a really, really not like a really believable twist and a really relatable thing of that sort of when you feel self-conscious about something and you know you shouldn't care about it but you do and you're trying to hide the fact that you care about it because caring about it goes against what you believe in. And I mean, it's the, I'm a feminist, but, and 
Shay is feeling that mm. in that moment. And I thought that was real. I thought that was a really powerful scene. I thought it was really good. And I feel like if we could get more of what's going on there, then maybe Miranda could have a little bit more time mm. to show a, another dimension. I'm glad that her tattoo was not a robot because I don't think she was ever a <laughs> robot. She was a really intelligent lawyer who lived for her job and she loved making partner. It was important to her, but she just got MH on her wrist in the end, which was her initials. I feel like she's going through some mm. massive midlife crisis that is just like off the scale. Oh. Um and hopefully she'll come out of it. Do you have any tattoos, Deb? I don't. Do you have any tattoos? I do. I had my midlife crisis tattoo earlier this year. I went for something very simple. I've got a very small triangle on my wrist, which represents a play button because I like to play. Uh, and my two best friends from, uh, from oh, Adelaide that's nice. got the same thing. So we're like, oh, it's the three-sided triangle. But that was it. That. That's as far as my midlife that. crisis has gone. I don't think you're in midlife, but I um I, I appreciate <laughs> the, that you're having a crisis anyway. That's an early midlife. Um, I have thought about getting GF on my ankle for guilty feminist because Ooh. always my whole life I've always thought there's nothing I can commit to. Like when I was 18, I would have got Jehovah tattooed on me if Jehovah's Witnesses were allowed to have tattoos. Mm. So I can't. I feel like oh, I don't know that I want any writing on me or drawings on me. But I could probably safely get GF on my ankle now. But I just don't know. But then people might think like it means it. girlfriend. Maybe. <laughs> they might. They might. So I now think that Miranda should just leave Che and not be going back for more and going, oh, can we not leave it on this yucky moment? I'm like, they've just basically said they don't care about your son or your emotional state with your son. And you've profusely apologized for the telephone thing. And... They're trying to influence you not to go back to see your son, to stay with them while they make a TV show. And you're still going, the TV show's going to be huge. It isn't going to be huge. It's terrible. I really need Miranda to be Miranda again because she would walk away from Steve for any mm -hmm. one of these behaviours. So I am not loving this at all. And I also want Miranda to be back in New York. I really, really do. Yes. I'm going to be yeah. interested to see how Miranda deals with this heartbroken son and where that might take us because we've never seen her have a good bond with Brady. In season one, we saw Brady having a lot of sex in the house quite ostentatiously. Mm. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. Um, I am looking forward to Aiden coming back. When is Aiden coming oh, back? yeah. I don't want that back. I don't want that back. I do want ostentatious sex with Aiden back. Um, please bring that yes. back now. And I do not want Naya to be going out with a sound engineer who has gone fishing down her top. Mm. Awful. Um, mm. I want more MILF list style content, honestly. <laughs> That's probably... Mm, I just feel like yeah. that kind of fun, playful, naughty, you know, that's something that kind of feeds the ego, but it's not it's not feminist. It's it's sex in the city. Yeah. I wonder if they'll bring up what happened in the in the Middle East in the second film. <laughs> Where they met in a market and he was carrying a Persian rug. Yes. Yes. 
they yeah. had a quick snog and then she had a massive meltdown. Or are they just going to pretend it never happened? I think they're going to. I think they're going to. They're going to springboard off that. I think he's going to be divorced and he's going to say, "I never stopped thinking about that kiss. My marriage wasn't right, or we grew apart, or whatever." raised the kids and now I keep thinking about you in that kiss in the market in the terrible mm. second movie and hopefully she's going to go oh, I thought about it too but only after my husband died because you know um I liked yeah. him I want more Anthony um, that's what I'm looking forward to I want more Anthony oh, he's the I feel that because character. we've lost Mir- Miranda's lost her spark Anthony's the only real sort of Saki character that we've got left. I mean, proper Saki character. And he has been severely underused these first three episodes. I want more, more, we've more, more. We've lost Samantha Singers. We've lost Miranda Singers. Mm-hmm. We need Anthony. Anthony makes me laugh out loud every episode he's in. I yeah. love him. We've lost Stanford. Literally all we have yep. left. I would 100% say smaller cast and big up Anthony's role. I think it would have been quite radical if they'd let Anthony be Samantha. They'd let him sit in that fourth seat yeah. and let him do the Samantha shagging everyone. Yeah, it would have it would have filled those shoes easily. But given that's where we're at, I like to look at parallels between the old show and this show. Did Seamus Birkin remind you of anything from the original series? Ooh. I mean, I, I remember um, the one that Samantha was on the waiting list for and pretended it was for Lucy Lou. That's right. Is it the same one, and Samantha but in had yellow. Birkin bag stolen. Parallels. Samantha had her Birkin bag stolen, but by Lucy Lou, not by somebody coming That's by and right. mugging her. She never yeah. got it back. Can also, it's a bright yellow bag. Someone would have seen it for sure. I mean, I'm gonna say yes. It also reminded me of a fashion mugging. Do you remember when Carrie was mugged in the street in the OG, but not for a bag? Yes, for her shoes. They stole her shoes. That's right. They stole yeah. the Nardo Blahniks. So I thought this storyline was kind of a combination of the mugging of Carrie's Blahniks and the loss of Samantha's Birkin. Mm. Um, I think it reminded me of them going to LA before and Miranda thinking she was an LA person and then dating an LA man yes who had was previously in your yes. going, it's not for me and leaving I mean he just chooses food and spits it back out that's right that's right but also reminded me of Carrie going I gotta get out of Paris now like it just felt like she had to leave LA and I fully suspect uh now that she's gonna come back to New York and this tattoo is going to mean, I hope, a bit like the tattoo is like Carrie's necklace to me. It's an ident of her own name. Mm. It's the Carrie necklace, but branded mm. onto her. I would have loved them to go and get their initials tattooed together because if she was like prevaricating, going, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. And Carrie's like, no, 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 you're going to want to get it taken off. Don't do it. I think a lovely twist at the end would have been Carrie and Miranda coming out of Tattoo Parlor together and they've both had their own initials yeah. branded on them, I think, or tattooed on them. Yeah. Those were the parallels I saw. I didn't see any fashion Easter eggs in this one. So if anybody's got any fashion yeah. Easter eggs, like I, I often do those where I can see parallels, please write into guiltyfeminist at gmail.com and we'll read them out on the next episode. Yes. I, d- I also didn't see anything that topped that pigeon bag. Um, 
I was obsessed with that. The pigeon bag, uh, twinned with the with the uh, coveralls, the um, overall dungaree type thing she was wearing last. Oh, I loved that. I loved the jumpsuit. I loved the pigeon. She looks cool. I loved the jumpsuit. She looked really cool. Jumpsuit. Yeah. I like those looks a lot more than this sort of skirt with a jacket with a top with a. I don't like the layering as much. I enjoy the sexy jumpsuits. I, I thought she looked cute in her New York Monopoly jumper and her um, underskirt in her flat. Mm. But clearly that's just her swanning that around her good. flat where, yeah. Also, if I had all those millions, because that flat that she sold was worth, it can't be worth like oh, 20 yeah. to 50 million. Plus yes. Big left a million to his ex-wife. She wasn't even expecting it. So she must have millions. I would have gone downstairs and said to that local designer, I'm just going to give you a check for whatever that collection was worth. Because it would have been some thousands of dollars. Yeah, you're right. I would right. not have just brought down Although like, it wasn't pastries. about the money, was it? It was, it was more the fact that she put in all that time and effort and it just, she was like, all, the, all that time yeah. that I put into it is gone and I have to start again. I mean, the money would be that. nice too. But it's sort of a little about wrong. the money. Yeah, if you're in your thirties yeah. and you're living alone and stuff, it is a little, you know, like you've bought all the materials. I would have said, I'm going to buy that collection, and then because I, you know, I've got a lot of money, and I'm going to commission you to make me a lovely red carpet piece or something, just so mm. she had a bit of a kickstart. But that's the kind of thing I do, and I would then be embroiled in some kind of business venture I didn't want to be in with my downstairs neighbour. So Carrie is a smart woman. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Um, anyway, I am still interested to see where it goes and I really enjoy criticising it the way I enjoy criticising family. So I've loved criticising <laughs> Sex and the City with you today, Beck Hill. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Beck, have you got anything to plug? Uh, yeah, uh, people can find me on social media. I'm Beck Hill Comedian uh, or Be Chill Comedian if you read it wrong. And I'm uh, also on a podcast called A Problem Squared with a mathematician called Matt Parker, and we solve people's problems. He does the mathematical ones and I do the interesting ones. <laughs> that sounds like an absolute delight. If I have any mathematical problems or emotional problems, I'll send them right in. You'll be surprised how often they cross over. I never realised your name is also Be Chill. That is a great Edinburgh show. I think your next Edinburgh show should be Beck Hill Be Chill. Oh, it's it's look, it's in the back pocket. It's just waiting for it one day. I'm absolutely it's my DJ excited name. and delighted by that idea. Thank you so much, Beck Hill. And tune in next time for our Guilty Feminist Watchers and Just Like That podcast. See you soon. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist Watchers and Just Like That with me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guest, Beck Hill. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski. The Guilty Feminist is part of the Acast Creator Network. And Just Like That is on Max in the United States and Sky Comedy and Now in the UK. See you next time for episode four. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com